0: Welcome to Truth's Table, midwives of culture for grace and truth. I'm Akemeny. I'm Michelle. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, sisters. How y'all doing? Well. (laughs) (laughs) I missed (laughs) Yes,
1: ladies.
2: It's been a while since we've, I think, recorded, so. So true. So who knows what could happen. (laughs) <laughs>
0: right? yes yeah, it, I know it has it's been a while it's we we yes it's it's been a minute actually I don't I'm actually not quite sure how we've gotten away with it but you know I don't what? know God's grace I really amen do.
1: hello
0: amen I have missed being at the table with y'all for real for real mm-hmm. so how how's summer been I mean we're it's winding down now I'm like no lord no <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's been really busy in St. Mm. Louis. We had, um, we had two bailouts this summer. Well, May was one and then July was the other. So we did a lot of assisting people who were suffering from, um, temperatures up to like 112, 115 degrees mm. in our local medium security institution it houses a lot of folks who are pre-trial mm. and people who can't afford to pay bond or tickets just you know, mm. traffic violations. So mm-hmm. we were able to do a good. We were able to do a good yes. bit. Bailing yes. out raised twenty thousand dollars in two days. So yes, but it it's that extra wow. that now what do we do now piece we've been working on. So it's been really
0: busy. Yeah, mm. that's a lot.
1: Yeah. What about what about you, C?
2: Wow. Um, let me tell you something. Whenever Michelle talks about her work, I'm always like, mm, Am I doing enough of my life? <laughs> <laughs> This girl, but <laughs> like, oh well. This is where I am. Okay, um, so, so no, I have not been doing the things that Michelle just described. Uh, what have we been doing this summer? We so there was some bad flooding that happened where I live, and so oh, yeah. a lot of our time and attention has been actually on like refurbishing a part of our home, which is a little frustrating. So, um, so yeah, so, so a lot of time and energy there. Of course, my kids are home this summer, and they are in full full gear. And we are obviously very boring people who cannot hold their attention. And so 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 my six-year-old every day is like, and I'm bored, and I'm bored, and I'm bored. So we are trying to, we're like, come on, Lord, just bring back school. Come on, bring back school. Um, I have a deep love for teachers uh, because of that. So Anyway, so that's what that, that's what it looked like. I got to spend some time, and I even got to see Akimini um, yeah, when I went yeah. to Maryland and Pennsylvania to visit my my sister who had a a baby. I have a brand new niece, and she mm. is precious. But I even got to spend some time with Miss Akimini, yeah, and we had a blast in Maryland, didn't we? So that we was good. Did. Stuff.
0: We did. That was like the highlight of my summer. Actually, mm-hmm. going to Baltimore, <laughs> hanging out, got to meet her parents. You know, and I had yeah. I was thinking about the motherhood and the fatherhood episode. It was really cool. Uh, to meet her family and to meet her sister. That, that was, a uh, that was so awesome. Aww. And your niece, your new niece. Aww. And so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, no, it was a great time. Uh, the summer's been good. Actually, I've been, you know, been able to go home quite a bit this summer, hang out with the family, be with my mom for her birthday. I'm rarely ever home for that. So that was nice to do that. And then yeah, hang out with, uh, C in Baltimore. That was. Fun, 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 and meet some of our um actually meet some of our listeners too, when we mm. went to church, so that was awesome. that was a nice uh treat, so it's been good, it has been good. well, I don't know if y'all recall this rhyme, this sad, sad rhyme mm. from our childhood, but it goes a little something like this: if you're white, you're right. If you're yellow, you're mellow. If you're brown, stick around, and if you're black get back. Colorism is on the table today. Now we know we didn't tease our listeners <laughs> for pretty much <laughs> this entire season about colorism and how we're going to talk about colorism. And it's finally here. And, uh, and so we, we want to be able to take our time with the subject and please, so just consider yourself Warned because you might be triggered. This, this does require a trigger warning because it's a pain point, uh, for mm. a lot of people within our community. So before we start our discussion, let's do a little defi- defining here. Okay. So, um, colorism is discrimination and prejudice based on skin tone. Uh, privileges and advantages are conferred to those with light skin while those with dark skin are disadvantaged. Um, that's just my own. You know, definition there. Now, uh, Dr. Ibrahim, uh, Kendi also describes colorism in this way. Uh, he says colorism, like all forms of racism, rationalizes color inequities with racist ideas by claiming the inequities between dark and light skinned people are not due to discrimination against dark skinned people, but the inf- inferiorities of dark skinned people. Mm. So, um, so they're putting the onus on some sort of pathological inferiority among dark skin people, which is not true. Obviously, it's a racist um, mm-hmm. uh, notion and I- ideology, uh, and that that quote comes from colorism as racism. Uh, from, uh, black perspectives, there was an article that he wrote about, um, Garvey Dubois and the other color line, which I'm gonna, we'll dig into that deeper because we're gonna do another episode on colorism, guys. So we're not just doing one, okay? And so, cause we felt like we couldn't do, uh, colorism justice in one episode. So we'll delve into that, um, probably in the next, uh, episode. But, uh, wanted to start out with that definition and wanted to ask y'all, um, what your own experience with colorism is and when you realize that there uh, was a color line. So if any of you guys to speak to that, I think that would be awesome.
1: Boy, this is, is such a difficult topic mm-hmm. to to mm-hmm. even, you know, where do you start?
0: <laughs> it's a hard one. It is a hard one. <laughs>
1: it is. I mean, i I feel like I have never known a time When colorism hasn't been either on the table as a discussion in my family or made clear to me that, um, I lucked out Uh, Mm -hmm. is often Mm -hmm. what I, what I hear, you know, Oh, you got that medium tone, that Mm -hmm. medium this, (laughs) that you, you, you the safe color black, you know, you obviously black, but not so dark (laughs) that you scary. Yeah. Okay. You obviously black, mm-hmm. but not so light that everybody think you want to be white. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I, I have never been more offended than when our people, our black brothers and sisters, talk that way to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, sure.
1: Anyway, so when I remember growing up and my mother talking about pledging, uh, trying to pledge in sororities, mm-hmm. and how you know she like six, she's sixty four now, I think. Mm-hmm. So she literally white supremacist evil ain't escaped. None of us, not the least the people in our lives who are just a little older than us. And she had to put her face next to a paper bag.
0: Mm. And
1: so she did not qualify to pledge in certain sororities, black Mm. run run by black people. Mm -hmm. So that's my interest in this conversation is saying, look, uh, we want stuff to change nationally. We want stuff to change among, Minorities and among those who are in the majority culture, we got to talk about the stuff that we are doing to each other. Um, my dad is from a family that's mostly light skinned. My mom's from a family that's mostly dark skinned. And I, I have every memory of hearing about her father not wanting her to marry that high yellow curse mm-hmm. word because mm-hmm. there was no way he wanted their purity. Like, challenged. Um, I told y'all before, my mom is descended from the Geechee people, Mm -hmm. and they are serious about maintaining. And I I truly believe that my parents have struggled through things that y'all know they ain't going to talk about everything. But I know they've struggled through stuff that they have held in their hearts and pondered in their hearts. And that's a big part of why I, I believe a table like ours made by and for our people. This is where the conversation has to start.
0: Mm. That's good. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Michelle. Mm. How about you, Christina? You know, I'm like swirling
2: through all these different.
0: No, <laughs> so it's a thank, lot.
2: thank you for triggering me, Michelle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, y'all should know we love y'all because this right and here. It up in bit- here. This is yeah. a very hard subject to enter into. It really so, is. I think that, I think that's why we kinda of put it off, to be quite honest. It's just mm-hmm. heavy and it's hard.
2: Yeah. Um so I think so like that initial question of like when we first encountered or had an understanding yeah. of, of complexion uh preferences or hierarchy or stratification. Mm-hmm. And um I would say so, so, my mother has darker skin than my father, and um and when I was little, it seemed to be even a, an even greater contrast that like my dad was clearly light skin colon pal-esque complexion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then my mother um had a much richer kind of warmer brown clearly like brown skin tone and um in my family, my mother, my mother was and still is the standard of beauty, so in my in my small, in my house, like in my, <laughs> where I grew up in that home, um, my father was, you know, like overly stated, like the beauty of my mother. So uh, when I left out of that house, uh, or if I turned on the TV in the house, people just assumed, or or beauty was ascribed to people just based on the color of their skin, the lighter the skin was, just assumed that they were more attractive, more virtuous, more feminine. Um, Hmm. I remember, uh, by kids, you know, it depends on what school I went to. I spent one year at a predominantly white school and which was like the twilight zone. Like it was, it was, it was like, I was like, whoa, like, please get me back to Baltimore immediately. (laughs) Uh, I'm good. Thank you. So, and so, so it was, so I experienced different things in those two different settings. So in that predominantly white school, I, I experienced invisibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the predominantly black school, I just, I just oh, experienced, gosh. okay, hey, uh, so like high yellow, uh, mm-hmm. white girl, um, you, you want to be white, which was fascinating because I don't mm-hmm. see my complexion the way that other people do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see myself looking like my mother. I don't, I don't see <laughs> myself as a my husband still jokes about it. It's like, no girl, you're light skinned, but I don't, <laughs> I don't see myself through that lens. So it was always very odd to, to me. To, to hear black peers, um, make that reference. I think it hurt my feelings, but it, I think it puzzled me more than it hurt my feelings. Mm. Um, and yet at the, st- and then also as I got older, I would hear people say things like, you're not the way I thought you were going to be, or, mm. um, mm. you're, you're nicer or you're more down to earth. I think there was this, this assumption that if you have lighter skin, then you must actually think lighter skin is better. Mm. I, you believe oh. the preference. Um, yeah, yeah. and so, so, so people would say like, oh, well, you're nice. Like, like <laughs> so I think, so I think that was also really, really fascinating. Um, and then I, and then the, of course the way white people, uh, would deal with me as a small child and even into later adulthood, just the types of conversations. I remember a lady telling me that she thought I had rosy red cheeks. And I thought that was, I thought like that was crazy. I was, I mean, cause I, I was like in a black context. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Right, and she uh-huh. was like, look at her, look at how you know, I was much lighter when I was a kid. And um she's like, look at how rosy red her cheeks are. And I guess for white people that's like a compliment, I guess. But I <laughs> thought I thought it was like a heat rash. I was thinking like, what's what's wrong with me? Because normalcy in my context was people who had brown skin. So and then mm. certainly later on in life I, I think I have been and I'ma use <laughs> and I'm using privilege facetiously, but I've been privileged to conversations of candor Candor with some white people Mm -hmm. who I think um, may say things to me because that are um, in in which in that moment they might forget just how in group I am to the African-American experience. And so Mm -hmm. hearing white people say things about black people and I'm a black person um, with a level of um, comfort and ease that they probably should not have. So um so I would say that's kind of what the trajectory has looked like. How about you? E?
0: Ooh, well, <laughs> it's uh it's yeah. I don't uh, the the first I don't even it's interesting. I think I have oh okay, so my my dad was light. I talked about how my dad was light, had light eyes. Um looked very much like James Earl Jones. Mm-hmm. Um and so a little bit darker than your dad, but still light. Um, and then, uh, your dad's C. And, oh, actually, mm-hmm. maybe close to your father's complexion. Um, um, M. Mm-hmm. And my mom is brown skin. Uh, but I'm maybe, maybe two shades darker. You know, black folks, we have different, like, colors
2: <laughs> right. in our eyes. So, like, it's, it's, like, the, it's like the hair
0: type conversation. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I don't not understand. It's like, <laughs> not even, like a standard thing. It's like everybody has different ideas of what's dark and light, like, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but some are indisputable. And so I, I'm one of those, I'm clearly dark. Mm. And so, uh, I don't know. It's interesting. When I was in preschool, I think I knew as early as preschool that or, or, there was something. It's hard for me to um, disentangle whether it's racism or colorism, but hmm. I remember being in preschool and knowing it. it was predominantly white. Um I think it was happened to be like one I think my parents put me in private Christian private school for like one or two years. That was all they could afford anyway. um praise the Lord um right. so <laughs> help me God so uh but I remember being in uh this is gonna be kind of nasty, but I was in the bathroom and thinking, um like man, I wonder if white people um I wonder if their poo is brown like mine. You know, and so I would notice that I was like, man, my skin tone is, is like almost the same color as, as my own feces. Like, and I, I hate, I hated that, I think, ever since I was young. Mm-hmm. And I remember, uh, one day just being in the bathroom and some kid didn't flush a toilet, white kid. And so I went over to the stall and said, like, I wonder, is there, a po- do they poo the same color as me? Like I was, you know, just like yeah. a j- child, adult, like wow. just not understanding, yeah. right? Yeah. And I remember looking over and I'm like, huh, it is. It was so perplexing to me. And so, and what does that say about me though, that they're white and they poo brown and I'm brown and I poo brown. Like, and I look the same color as the very thing that nobody wants to even look at, you know, mm. in the toilet, you flush away. So that's something that came up as I was thinking about that. Then, you know, you keep, you know, going on into adolescence or, well, I don't know, I guess elementary. You're very aware of, you know, just your own dark skin, I think, in America, Mm -hmm. Um, especially being a a girl, right? A dark skin. brown girl, especially in California. Um, and mm-hmm. so I, I remember just playing with a, a friend, um, white girl, I was maybe six, I don't know, it was elementary school. Uh, she, uh, I think her name was Tracy. And her brother came up to us and we were just eating our little popsicles at the after, after school. And I remember him calling me an African bumblebee. Now, it was a racist comment too, but I think that there was some there was a little bit of a colorism racial undertone there because anything that's African, right, is mm-hmm. deemed as ugly, um, is deemed as aggressive, is deemed as, you know, it's like exponentially worse, right? That's just the way um, America conceives and, and perceives anything in Africa so it's always oh you know african bubo bees or african this or uh zika or ebola or you know everything is just to the 10th power and so there is there's some of that where it's just like i was always so i i i dealt with hyper visibility to be quite honest because mm-hmm. um i was always uh dark um and then as you get you get older and actually in in junior high and high school i really struggled with my With my skin tone, um, and I actually, I hated myself so much and my own skin. And I remember actually bleaching my skin Mm. for a couple years. And so, and it was my, my view of beauty was so warped and it was so colonized that I only saw light skinned women as beautiful. And so it was very rare for me to be able to see a black, a dark skinned woman who looked like me and actually think she was beautiful. And so I think the first time I really, began to uh, to see a dark-skinned woman and think she was beautiful was Lauren Hill on Sister Act 2 I would say that's the first time I saw myself mm-hmm. on screen um, was was definitely her. I think Naomi Campbell was huge for me too mm-hmm. which is why represent- representation is so important to me. Mm-hmm. I think um, when I think back to school days, uh, so a lot of these things, TV references were huge because it was so influential for the negative and the good, right? Yep. Um, but, um, I think about school days and you think about Dap and Rachel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rachel played by Kim Salid and, but I couldn't see her as beautiful. And so that was not something I could aspire to. Um, I couldn't see Grace Jones as beautiful either um, because people made fun of me and called me Grace Jones but I didn't have eyes to see that Grace Jones is beautiful mm. or or you think about Kim from um, A Different World these three women these are women that I always I never wanted to be associated with mm. because I thought at that time I thought that they were ugly and therefore I'm also ugly and so I really had some very deep seated issues with my my dark skin for a long time y'all years um it probably well into my early 20s i'd say i was uh, this is some lifelong decolonization that i had mm-hmm. to do which we can talk about towards the end kind of what what we did or if are we still grappling with it or have we overcome it and how did we do that which we can get to but this was something that's followed me all through all through my years particularly especially with dating in california forget about it forget mm-hmm. about it a dark skinned woman in la you are invisible And now that's my experience. Now, I ain't speaking for every dark-skinned woman, but I'm telling you that this was my own experience. Their colorism was very deep there. You wanted, the black men there wanted racially ambiguous women Mm -hmm. or women that they looked, you know, that looked like, um, the woman you would see on videos, which I know videos, I don't know if they're a big thing anymore, but it was a big thing when we were growing up. And so, uh, so yeah, so those, I had a lot of issues there, but to the point that I would even want to color my skin and lighten it. And, and for a good two years, my skin, I did actually, my face was actually much lighter than the rest of my body. And so, yeah. and I remember using the product. It was Nabnola. And, um, and there's a history with Natanola and all that. And we can go into that, um, next episode. But, but yeah, so that's my experience, uh, with colorism is deep, mm. very, very deep. Um, even to this day, I think still people, that people perceive me a lot differently. I am a direct person, but I think people, um, register me as more aggressive, mm. more, um, I, I am a confrontational person, right? That's, that's just true. But I'm not, I'm not an overly aggressive person. If you meet me, like, I'm not, like, yeah. in your face. That's just not how I read. Yeah. But people perceive me that way. And I think part of it is because of the color of my skin. Mm. And that's just, that's just what it is. That's something that I have to navigate. You know, I have had to navigate all of my life. Mm. Um, so so we're not given the benefit of the doubt often is what i've right. come to experience so um so yeah that was a lot sorry y'all <laughs> the way that stuff
1: shapes out just that at least that i have seen is not so much um simply registering certain things but actually omitting layers of distinct personality, like, yeah. like mm-hmm. distinct features of a personality. So mm-hmm. that you are confrontational, uh, plus colorism means you, uh, have, have no ability to perceive or, or offer grace. And mm-hmm. I think that's to me what, what I'm struck by when I see, uh, not just our dark skinned brothers and sisters, Treated so poorly, it was such high prejudice, but even the uh, light-skinned brothers and sisters, uh, people perceive or just presume that because they are light, they have no perception of beauty in dark-skinned people. Mm. And so we're mm. omitting things, we're flattening out who people must be, we presume someone's capacity mm-hmm. to know or experience something, and that to me yeah. is just as sick. As projecting things on them,
0: Mm. that's true. That is true. I mean, how would I mean? How have you all? I mean, since TT has been a thing, truth (laughs) table has been a thing. How have y'all? Have you guys picked up any sort of um, let's see responses that hint at or are blatantly? I don't know, uh, laced with colorism and that I I think some people don't even know that it's, op- they're operating with that particularly because colorism, colorism, we usually talk about it intraracially. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a thing within our community. Um, but I, I think is I don't know, have you all noticed any sort of responses that we've gotten, even from people outside of our community and how they respond to either, either one of us, all three of us or to the table, you know, period. I, I don't think that we interact with each other, um, through a colorist um, framework, I, I really don't, the, amongst the three of us. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious to see have you always noticed anything from the outside looking in, like, hmm, I don't know about that. that Doesn't seem, to, you know, <laughs> that was odd.
2: Yeah, you know, we've talked about this before. I think this, um, you know, so I, so although I, so it's an expression of also, I think, racism and misogyny too, that people don't, people can't sit with the fact that we all actually are three. Distinct people with different perspectives and methodologies, and yeah. <laughs> right, like so they're That's like too hard. That's they're too like truth table believes, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like okay, <laughs> I'm like you know we actually are in different industries <laughs> and spheres, and we have you know <laughs> we have big brush strokes that we're like yes we fully affirm, but we have there we're not the same people. We have distinctives in terms of approach and methodology, but so I, so I come to the table. Of course, I'm trained as a clinician. I'm trained to listen and I'm trained to listen to people who, who can be absolutely ridiculous too. Like it's, you know, so my ability to listen is not necessarily an indication that somebody is reasonable or not bigoted. Mm -hmm. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's just, I'm trained to be able to listen. (laughs) So, um, and I think that there are times when, um, it's hard to parse out when it could be, when I get feedback, like, well, yeah, Christina, you, you seem really sensible. I can get feedback about seeming sensible. Mm. Um, now, some of that could, like I said, could be a could be like my clinical approach, but it's hard to tease mm-hmm. that out because, um, I think I joked with you recently, Akimini, is that you know I I think you're like the nicest <laughs> you're the nicest one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> particularly
2: <laughs> particularly in person, and I think in terms of actual racial reconciliation work and commitment, I would put that on Michelle. I'm like, michelle is like for real about mm-hmm. racial reconciliation right. i'm I'm still living in anti racism y'all i'm not I haven't left that pillar like I'm right there right now um <laughs> so but I think because of how people perceive me aesthetically um and I think it's I think a fair amount of it is on an implicit level. I think it's an unconscious implicit mm-hmm. level to be so, yeah. to be to be clear um I, I do think sometimes there is uh, a minimizing or maybe even missing of things that I say that could be just as uh, maybe direct as something right. that a Kimmy might say, particularly about about racism. Um, mm. And it could just be missed um, or it could just be people could choose to funnel it more graciously Whereas I have seen people take things that, for example, a kimani, you might say, and funnel it through a particular lens. And I'm just like, okay, are you able to listen? Did you hear the words that she just said? Yeah. <laughs> so um so 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 that is that's concerning, but I think that is just how things play out with kind of our implicit biases, you know? Mm.
0: It's true.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I feel like in terms of responses and conversations it really is something that you have to be able to perceive. And to mm-hmm. me, that's a little bit harder to do on, um, on the platforms where we converse most. So Twitter, Facebook, right. getting emails and stuff. But, uh, yeah, that is a good, that is good insight on C's part to, to realize that people are applying things to us without even taking what we say at face value. That is fascinating. And I am cracking up because Akimini is hands down. <laughs> The kindest of us, yes. Right? yes. She is. I mean, she is. but <laughs> but you is dedicated to truth. So if something look like a lie, then, then she ain't gonna be nice. She be like you're lying, okay?
2: Nobody gonna get something to eat. Let's go eat. But you're lying. I
0: <laughs> <laughs> love you, Jesus. I love you, but you're right. lying. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <That's hilarious. laughs> it's, it's true. true. So funny, no, but it's it's hilarious. But it's just something that you I've been dealing with my whole life, so I'm so used to it. I'm like, oh, whatever, you know. It's just people have a hard time receiving. People just hate truth, period. You know, so that's that's just that we all averse to it. We're like, dang. You we all feel that when the Holy Spirit convicts us're like oh, yes. Oh, uh, you know we all feel it. nobody's exactly. immune. nobody at this table is immune is what I'm saying now, you know uh, but but yeah, it's just something I've always had to parse out, even like I mean the fact that i even I went to the seminary that I went to, and then people can literally sit up here and tell me that I'm apostate. What? How? What? Why? Can somebody show me a receipt somewhere? Um Or somebody can literally say, oh, you know, uh, she's heretical or she is unorthodox. Really? Me? Okay. There's so many receipts. The receipts abound. <laughs> you know, like, you're being disingenuous, y'all. I have a whole website with my writings. What are you talking about? This doesn't make any sense.
2: No, I mean, no, it's, <laughs> no it's your being. Your very being is yeah.
1: what is apostate. Right, right
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah or I've, or I've even had you know um people you know or just last people were slandering me and gossiping about me and um saying you know um j- just talking about how I'm ovaries wrapped in black skin? can mm-hmm. you imagine being like reduced to i mean literally objectified in that way or mm-hmm. being called the new beyonce now that's new y'all that is new I, know I have so. not yeah, ever paid been- money <laughs> No, okay. that's throwing off my whole colorism rubric. I'm like, huh? Now <laughs> need Beyonce. Mm, okay. And so, so, so there's a whole there's all these a lot of uh, you know people just feel a lot more free. I think to attack me um, sure. because I think the darker you are, I think it's harder for them to see you as a woman. Mm. I mean, let's just be very honest Gosh. about that. Yeah. Um, and so you become this. Almost, you're categorically different all of a sudden, right? Mm -hmm. So you're, you're either subhuman or you're superhuman, so you're, but you're never. Just a woman yeah. Um, You know okay. So there's always Something else Which of course Gets us back to Sapphire You know And Aunt Jemima All of these Different You tropes. know um, mm-hmm. Tropes Right mm-hmm. uh, You know Jigaboo All of that stuff mm-hmm. Help us God You know And so So it's just something That you've had to I've had to grapple With all my life So those, those things Don't break me down Bring me to tears anymore mm-hmm. Like we did When I was like 12 You know Um But it Yeah It's, it's just one of those uh Things that I don't think People are aware of particularly in our community, it's something that we still have got to dismantle. Um right. And it's still something we have got to work through because it, it really is still a very real problem and we'll talk about more of the uh tangible things we're just going anecdotal today because um, when we hit y'all with the facts it's just it's just so depressing y'all um, <laughs> <laughs> but i do want to say i do i do want to bring this in this um aspect in uh because it always gets lo- it gets lost sometimes in our conversations about colorism because you know dark-skinned people obviously are the ones that are at a disadvantage in these conversations, but um, I do want to send strong support to our light skin um, listeners. And so, we actually got an email. Actually, in the beginning, when uh, Truth Table actually started um, in the springtime, we got an email from one of our very faithful listeners, um, and I want to read uh, the comment uh, here and and want us to discuss. You know how you know how we've navigated this. Um, this aspect, or how you, I don't know, how you've navigated it, see, but, uh, this is what <laughs> she says. <coughs> I know, I'm putting C on the spot. I, I, like, like, I, like, wow. I should okay. represent all the life skinned
1: people. I <laughs> should <laughs> all the life skinned people. I I just to now.
0: We are is like,
1: the I of the apparently.
0: <laughs> But she brings up a really good angle I think we can play around with. <laughs> and so, uh, so this is what she says. I just want to let y'all know that as a black woman who is very fair-skinned, I mean very, very, I feel like oftentimes people like me are often overlooked and not included in a discussion like this. I mean, usually people who are biracial are included in the discussion and they tell their struggles, but rarely is a 100% black person who looks white included in the dialogue at school or in documentaries or whatever. Very rarely is a person with my skin complexion represented and um, given an opportunity to contribute to the discussion. Maybe it is because this type of thing is so rare, but I don't know. I'm not saying this as a woe is me type of thing, but as a person who has struggled and is struggling with racial identity and navigating in a world where I sometimes feel dis- disconnected from any racial group is hard. Mm. But trust me, I am very well aware of the privilege I walk around with every day. But at the same time, I think the neglect of seeing someone like myself in these discussions perpetuates the idea that I am less black mm. because my story is very different than anybody I see in these discussions. End quote. So that came from our listener. Yeah. Um and yeah, any thoughts on that cuz I th- I thought it was good that she pulled out that she's 100% black. She's not um biracial, but she presents as very very light. And so uh yeah, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean so so there are some distinctions and I think
2: when we consider The narrative, the genetic narrative of how we come to be in the skin that we're in.
0: (laughs) And so, um, yeah, that's important. You know,
2: I have, I have a good friend who is, you know, we're going to do like the, 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 the complexion, the picture of like who's lighter or darker, who, who's probably a shade or two, I guess, uh, browner than I am. And she's, she's biracial. And, um, we've been in spaces where people will assume, They will assume that I'm biracial and that she Mm -hmm. is not biracial. Mm -hmm. And, um, Mm -hmm. so that's just, that's just one fascinating thing in the sense of how people can, you know, Mm -hmm. how really something like biraciality can be something that's really hard to discern. I mean, people, Mm -hmm. we are very diverse looking people. Okay. (laughs) For for all kinds of reasons. But I think for us, for the light skinned folks who, who have black parents, you know, I'll, I'll tell people like, my parents are black. My daddy's a black man. Mama's a black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, we have a different, I think, narrative that helps, that explains why we are in the skin that we're in. And it, and for me, yeah. it's a much more painful narrative. Like I'm mm-hmm. in the skin that I'm in mm-hmm. most, not that browner skin people don't have the same narrative of mine. I see it every day when I look in the mirror. I am a, you know, I'm a, a product of, of historical rape. And so, mm-hmm. um, and so even when we get into the hierarchy of colorism, I often think mm-hmm. about kind of like this, this family abuse dynamic. When you think about this favoring mm-hmm. of the light skinned slave, well, the light skinned slave is like your daughter. <laughs> like the light skinned slave, it's your, you know, it's your grandchild for crying out loud. I mean, it is, it is so sick and twisted. And, um, I think that has, I think that's one of the reasons why, I look at the, the complexion, this colorism conversation with a a few different lenses on. Now, at the end of the day, I think, uh, there is no doubt that the, the darker your skin is, the darker your skin is, the more you are going to encounter, uh, disenfranchisement and negative, negative stereotyping. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to, I think you have to hold that. And that might be why there aren't spaces as our, uh, as the, the listener, uh, -hmm. discussed that, that don't, Don't create platform for women with lighter skin to share their story. And that's because, quite frankly, (laughs) quite frankly, they are in the more privileged position. With that being said, it Mm -hmm. is likely in the case, particularly of those of us who are not, who don't identify as biracial, but are, are light-skinned people, um, they still, they still are a product of a very painful, painful narrative. Um, and so, and so that's, that's why I think, um, even though I didn't know this history, even from since early childhood, for me, I've never looked at having lighter skin as my as my preference. Like so mm-hmm. even through middle school, me and some of my buddies that were like from, from Panama and other parts of the world who had lighter skin, we would sit outside and attempt to tan. A mother would come out and be like, Girl, you're gonna get cancer. Get inside this. And I'm like, Are you crazy? <laughs> Hello, boy. You gonna have Hello. a heat rash? <laughs> <laughs> and we do not tan because you're black. Get in the house. Oh God. I mean, <laughs> Help me. that's not what we're gonna do ready. in this house. So I was I like, so that lasted about I I a day and, and a half. That lasted I a wasn't day. Ready. A <laughs> I was not ready. I told that's you my parents ready. are really black people. They were like, no, that's this is not happening. We're not tanning <laughs> it out here. It's awesome. um, funny. But but <laughs> what that show what that shows is that, you know, uh, so the belief so even though there is a privilege attached to a lighter skin tone, absolutely. The, sure, re, the sure. research sure. is just staggering. Sure. Um I can understand her speaking to her own narrative, her own experience, and it might be one in which she herself wants to reject that privilege and would rather, rather identify with those who are disenfranchised to be truly in group. So, Michelle, when Mm -hmm. you talked about that kind of brown skin in the middle, brown skin, (laughs) you know, in the middle brown skin. Right. right, right. Um, and I think, you know, and I think every community has its has this picture of, you know, who you know, who's Ballast. the most normal, right. desirable, you know, prototype for that particular person mm. uh, for that particular people group. Right. And so yeah. it, it could just be a longing. I know when I was a kid, I, I never wanted to be uh I, I didn't want to be, quote-unquote, the best. I didn't want to be what would be considered the prettiest or, or the most attractive. I, I had this fixation on being what is normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in and of itself is, I mean, what does that mean? Like, I went into psychology to really unpack <laughs> that. But it, it could be that there, for this young woman, there could be a really strong longing to be what is normal in group, which she mm-hmm. recognizes is not consistent with maybe how she feels or what she sees when she looks in the mirror.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, it, you know, what's funny is that, um, when you brought that up about summertime, it reminded me of like how in the summer as a kid, I was always so aware of the sun, right. of like not wanting to be darker, wow. you know? And so like, and I remember even family members be like, well, you know, watch out for that sun, you know, and just, you know, you don't want to get too much, too darker and too much. Dark. It's just like, we couldn't be, I couldn't even be free, you know, as a kid to even play uh, because I was always cognizant. Of like, well, if I stay out too long, I'm gonna be darker than I already am, and that dark is bad, you know. And so, and you you've been programmed like that ever since, you know, as a child. And you gotta understand, my parents are Nigerian immigrants, so you're talking about people that uh that that grew up under colonialism, mm. and so they now that that light skin thing is very very deep, and we're gonna we'll talk about the global impact. But um on the next episode, but this is, I mean, this is something that you just carry, it's, you know, white supremacy is a global project, we know that. Mm-hmm. And so this is something that has carried, carried over. You know, that, that was brought over with them and is still, and it's still there on the continent too. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the light skin thing was, it was a big thing. That was mm-hmm. something to be aspired to, you know, like all the time. The light, and I think that's one thing I could say, look, that's the one thing in our diaspora wars that sadly, you know, like this has always been the thing. And it's just like, it, it, I don't know. It just, it, it really makes me very, very sad, you know, but, When I think about that, but anyway, any thoughts on uh, that you have, M? About I guess the light skin, you know, just perspective and just um, you know what that means, you know, even for our listener who's like you know, kind of you know, like who kind of gets lost in the sauce in this conversation in in some ways.
1: Right. I am thinking about the impact of the the cultural weight, you know, this burden Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. comes from. So our, our Latino brothers and sisters who have, you know, I, I, I always wonder what the Spanish language version of these conversations could oh, be man. because they have yeah. native and indigenous heritage, African heritage, European heritage from the country of Spain and, um, other places, uh, Portugal. And I, and there's this famous picture that I've seen mostly through Black Lives Matter training coming out of Brazil, Mm -hmm. but the picture of the dark-skinned grandmother, Mm the medium, mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. middle-toned daughter, and uh, the daughter's clear responsibility to marry or at least procreate with a white Man, mm-hmm. and so the happiness of the family is directly connected to oh yeah higher you know the lighter skin tone, and so what does it mean for people who ha- who feel they have to explain themselves to prove that their happiness is not connected to their skin tone? Well, on some level, our souls are are deeply impacted because. We're forced to be unhappy with our skin tone. And I, I really, what, what I'm thinking in my mind right now is how has the household of faith missed the opportunity to speak into this directly? Oh, yeah. There's a oh, lot yeah. of conversation that obviously we could have mm. about our failures, our our deep desires in um, not just evangelical, but mainline, uh, any any church that desires to be, quote unquote, apolitical, um, we actually don't want to speak into the burdens that are borne by people who are either constantly explaining themselves to themselves or folks who feel like everyone around them wants an explanation for why they belong or why they look the way they look. Mm -hmm. And I really ponder Mm -hmm. over what the location of our dear listener, our sister's heart is in terms of where, where is she going to have these conversations? And my fear is that she is unable to have these conversations. Frankly, in a small group, in the household of faith, Mm -hmm. in a worship setting. Mm -hmm. And so how do we address, how do we broach things like, is my physical appearance ordained by God? Mm -hmm. And how can we really begin to say that? Mm. Um, And so I, I do think that aside from not having anywhere near the concrete and really gracious response that Christina gave, that's where I am, just hearing that. Right right off the bat, the top of my brain and the the depths of my soul really wonder and ponder and now I'm in like serious prayer for all of us leaders of the church who have failed to make room for conversations that we think aren't important enough uh, because there's not enough people representing that that problem but what happens when we decide to address a problem, mm-hmm. even if the person who is most impacted is not represented by majority? This is the heart of the gospel, that the Lord knows no majority, right? And so if I only have one or two, quote unquote, 100% all black people in my com- congregation, um, if I only have one or two light-skinned or biracial people in my congregation, it doesn't mean that this issue should not be brought up. And so how have we failed to bring it up, failed to remember it? And so I'm thankful and I'm grieving. And I believe yeah, that we yeah. need to experience a, a godly grief that leads to repentance and salvation without regret.
0: Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad you brought up that piece about the church. See, because, I mean, because um, it, I mean, the reality is historically, um, even In the black church, colorism was practiced. Mm -hmm. I mean, paperback tests were were given to black folks, barring them from actually going to church as well, too. So this is not, um, it ain't even just an evangelical space. This is black church. So it's like, I I mean, I don't ever recall anybody giving a sermon about colorism. That's right. Okay. Which, and colorism is a sin. Okay, because you're discriminating against somebody based on their skin tone. Right. Um, and so I, I don't remember, I don't recall that. I've never mm-hmm. heard a sermon on that. That mm-hmm. was when I was back in my Black Pentecostal church, even in my mm-hmm. church. I have not ever heard anybody address that. There's so many things that we can be addressing. And I think it is a travesty, actually. I think this is one of those things where it's like, man, like, this is an area that I think that we've, we've fallen short for sure. Mm-hmm. It's just not something that's, Um, on our radar but every day it impacts us yeah Um, we carry it with us in some in some regard Um, and so um, so I guess so I think naturally this leads us into how have y'all overcome maybe your own issues with colorism or have you overcome or are you still wrestling Mm -hmm. with it and what are you doing um, to, you know, to get over, um, what has been helpful for you? Um, and you know, so that some of our listeners who might still be struggling with self-hate or who might have overcome it, how how can we give some support to them? Um, practically, what does that look like? Um, or what has that looked like for you guys? Hmm.
2: Well, you know, I mean, it's hard to talk about a topic that is so deeply shameful. I think it's always easier, you know, Planks and 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 dust and specks right, right. in people's eyes right and so it's always like, easier right, right. to fixate on <laughs> those external specks than that internal plank that we got going on and so mm-hmm, I'm not surprised mm-hmm. that in group we don't want to have a real conversation uh-uh. yeah. about something that demonstrates that uh, one we have internalized uh, racism so deeply within our communities uh, and two that we have given out we have given out privileges. Um, based on something like skin tone, which we know is wrong, like this, <laughs> so, it's terrible. I, when you ask the question of how have we over, overcome this or how have we, have we thought through colorism, I would say... Yeah. Are you still wrestling with it? Yeah, I mean, right, right. You know, I think it takes... My complexion is not something that I look at and I would consciously say that I like. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. uh, there are people I know who have, you know, a whole host of complexions that will, that will, that will c- see their, their actual skin color as something that is, uh, something that they would describe in a way that's like, oh, look at my beautiful, you know, my beautiful golden skin or my, you know, beautiful right. brown, you know, whatever. I, I don't think I've ever used that type of language to describe my skin tone. It's not, that's not something where mm-hmm. I think I personally derive, where I when I look in the mirror that those are that's not the trait even though that's what's all over my <laughs> my body is my skin um mm. that's not the dominant trait that I go to so I don't know if that is necessarily a a good thing or a bad thing, but it's just not it's that's not what I look at and see uh beauty in when I look in the mirror per se and i and my guess is that a piece of that could be that in some ways I have an internalized shame that doesn't allow me to see my skin tone um as something that could be attractive without it without playing into the ranking of it. Right. So it's very hard for us to say that things that are different are also beautiful. Like we've really struggled (laughs) with, with seeing difference without creating hierarchy. Um, and even though I can consciously say this on this level, I'm, I'm sure I'm aware even now that implicitly it's still obviously a struggle for me. I've, I've grown quite a bit. I mean, when I was in, uh, probably high school or early into college. It's a question that I would ask men that like if I was, you know, my, my current husband, he he can recall me asking him about does he have a complexion preference in the women that right. he dates? And me personally uh, being uh, frustrated and uh, dismissive, particularly of black men who had a preference for lighter skin women, even though I'm lighter skin, I, I saw it as pathology. Yeah. Um right. Particularly as somebody who has just started studying sociology, like, you couldn't tell me. I was like, okay, you, you only date light skinned black women. Right. Okay. Okay. I mean, you, you you couldn't, you couldn't unpack that for me. So, um, I would say that I still think there's something wrong with that. (laughs) I still think something's wrong with that. But I do, I do have, I think, a greater openness. And I also really dig into the idea that, you know, attractiveness is something that is, you know, is about intrinsic beauty, but also about scientific, physiological beauty. It's about symmetry. And in that sense, uh, people of diverse, uh, skin tones and body shapes and, uh, ethnicities and, and backgrounds, uh, can, can bear great, great beauty, um, as, as they are, uh, created by, you know, our creative God who almost functions, you know, like an artist, um, mm-hmm. pulling together mm-hmm. these, this symmetrical beauty, uh, that we can demonstrate. So, it's taken a lot of work. I, I imagine that it will be a lifetime of work because it is
0: that, for sure. that deep rooted. So that's what I would say. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. How about you, Em?
1: I think it is really important for us to continue this sort of confessional posture. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. We are, we are so wrapped up in the foolishness, um, that you know, much like we testify to our white brothers and sisters, uh, you don't know it's poison if you're breathing it and it makes you feel better. Mm. You know, you don't know that mm-hmm. it's privileged if, <laughs> if yeah. it's bringing you increased social That's status. Right, right, you know? right. Like, right. I can't, sure. I can't see the air. Yeah. So I, I do believe that continuing to confess, continuing to interrogate the way Christina often encourages us to ask, mm. ask, what you're going through, what you're doing, what you believe that you need to challenge. And I do think it's a good word that you gave to a about the experience in the black church where we practiced colorism. uh, Maybe if we, even if we didn't name it, Mm -hmm. we practiced it Mm -hmm. and we need to dismantle it. And so where's the best place to start? It's always in changing the daily rhythms of my own life, right, and right. so how do I shift these things? How do I speak? How do I develop? Whether it's a mantra or some kind of script for actually not letting colorism slide, uh-huh. and that is the hard, awkward, so time-consuming, a oh lot. You know, mm-hmm. I'm already the crazy, weird person that people ask me to talk about Black Lives Matter, and I start out saying Native Lives Matter. It's I'm, look, mm-hmm. it's already weird. But um we, we are going to have to get weirder or biblically, yeah. we're going to have to get more peculiar mm-hmm. if we're going to dismantle this. Mm. And I think we need to commit to becoming more peculiar for the sake of actually, I, I mean, really, we are starving ourselves of the thing that's killing us because it tastes so good just mm-hmm. to, silence tastes so good mm-hmm. but it's killing us it is and so if i can abstain from the immorality of silence of of fearful silence then no matter how awkward how weird how frustrating or you know how risky it is i think it's time for us to develop some kind of theological framework for addressing colorism, when it happens, that we can begin to practice, to catechize ourselves, our family, our neighbors, and our churches. Um, so that's like just the very beginnings mm-hmm. of a commitment on my end. But the things that have brought me to it um, very often include sitting at the feet of my brothers and sisters who are light-skinned, who are dark-skinned, and who are saying, mm-hmm. people like me, Need to care more.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I um, that's really good. I mean, changing those daily r- rhythms, catechizing mm-hmm. it's it's so work, so mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, speaking about becoming more peculiar, we just need to become more biblical. Amen. Um, you yeah. know, and you know, and I just I think about um, uh, I I think about how. In my early twenties, at this point, I was saved now, um, but still carrying, you know, that, that, that burden of colorism. Like it was just uh, hovering over my head, you know, re- really like a Eeyore-like cloud. Y'all remember Eeyore? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, it, it really was like that, um, for me. Um, and I don't, I, it might be surprising to people who knew me then, um, but I have a good poker face. And so, um, and so I think, for, for me, what was helpful, um, and I'm not saying I've arrived because actually, you know, I, I really don't know what's in the depths of my heart. Right, <laughs> Jeremiah mm-hmm. th- th- has made that clear. The book of Jeremiah, <laughs> like, prophet Jeremiah, people, <laughs> and so you know, so I don't know. You know, I, I, I have not, I have not arrived. I know that what I do know is that decolonization is a lifelong um, process. And I'm on that process, you know. I'm on that journey, if you will, and that will not stop until we are in new heavens and new earth. Until I'm before the throne of of, of the King of Kings, and I cannot wait until that day because I'm tired of my sin. How about that? Mm. And um, Amen. But what I w- what I will say is um, what I found to be very helpful for me was um, just reading. I remember reading uh, Song of Solomon. Uh, which is interesting. There's a little bit of colorism in the apples, you know. Because there's, <laughs> there's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. But I do recall. Um uh the, the the writer saying, you know, I am very dark but lovely, right? And so we've heard that you're dark, you're pretty for a dark skin girl, you know. Um, mm-hmm. and then you just saw, you saw these you, these tones of like, you know, don't look upon me, you know, because I'm dark, and the, the sun, you know, has been, or actually it says, no, do not gaze at me because I am dark. This is uh Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse five. Mm-hmm. Because the sun has looked upon me. Mm-hmm. And so you see that in there. Um, and so for me, sometimes scripture. Is helpful just to um, uh, affirm is my own, you know, lament or I find some um, uh, place of resonance, and so that was that's helpful for me. And mm-hmm. then, of course, later on in the chapter, it talks about you're beautiful. Your skin is so beautiful. You're dark. So those are things I lived in Song of Solomon. That was really huge for me um, in order to kind of uh, you know stop seeing my skin as ugly. Um, as, as evil and as, you know, and all those things that, that, that drove me to even bleach my skin. How about that? Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember exactly what stopped me from bleaching. If I'm honest, I don't remember what it was. I don't know if it was just that I was looking crazy because my face was light and the rest of my body was not. So maybe I just said, this looks crazy. I don't know if it was that. I don't know if I had some sort of spiritual re- awakening. I don't think it was that. But um, So I think prayer was huge for me. Prayer was a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and reading, reading, staying in Song of Solomon was huge for me as well. Um, and then also um, mm-hmm. just, just praying that the Lord would give me eyes to see you know, my own beauty and see my skin tone, my, my, my dark mahogany skin tone is beautiful. Um, and being able to recognize that in others so that I can turn around and say, yes, Kim from a different world. I don't know what her real name is. Lord, forgive me. Um, uh, is beautiful. And I can be able to say, Grace Jones is beautiful. What's wrong with me? Why didn't I? <laughs> How come I couldn't see that that was pretty? Of course, the, the, my peers that were calling me Grace Jones didn't mean that as a compliment, right? Um, but now I have eyes to see that they're beautiful. Like I have eyes to see that Nina Simone, uh, was beautiful. Um, and so, uh, so it took, a long time for me to get to where I am. And I still have not arrived. I don't think I have, Um but it's a, it's a, it's a process and it's a journey and it's just something that um I've been praying for, but I, I can look in the mirror and not despise myself. And I could not do that for at least 25 years. Mm-hmm. That's a long time mm-hmm. to be living with self-hatred. And so now I can say, look, in the t- and look in at the mirror and go, ah, you are beautiful. Not in a conceited way, not like I'm the best, you know, but I can actually say you are beautiful just the way that the Lord made you and you are in the image of God. Mm-hmm. You know, and he says that it is good. You are good in that sense. You know, obviously, not missing, but you know, but, but yeah, you know, and so, uh, in that sense, people, uh, but, but that's, you know, so those are things that I've had to really cling to. And then I have to also look at the, the, the Bible and see and look and this is not to shoot any of our white brothers and sisters, but there's not a white person in the Bible. There's mm-hmm. just not. There are people of color in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, some that are same color, skin tone as me, that, 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 that the, the whole spectrum is there, but, but, and I had to decolonize a lot of that stuff too, you know, because when you see a white Jesus with blue eyes, of course you're going to hate yourself, yeah. you know? And so, I mean, so there's just a lot, there's a lot of layers to it, but I've had to um totally use a different framework, even when I'm approaching the word that's, that um eschews Eurocentrism, you know, and really actually sees... Um, the people in the Bible for actually who they were <laughs> and where they were in their context and in their time. So those are some things that were helpful, uh, uh, for me. Mm-hmm. So I do hope that this episode was, um, helpful and practical. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I need to pray, uh, for yeah. uh-huh. our listeners because it's a, this is a heavy subject. And so I do want to pray, um, and then we'll close out, but I'm looking forward to. Part two. So, uh, so yeah. So let me let me pray, and then we'll we'll close out. But you know, Father God, we we thank you for your loving and kindness and your grace. We thank you for just just this opportunity to come to the table together with my sisters Christina and Michelle to glean their wisdom, to uh, glean support. Um, and to just talk about our own journeys and our uh issues with colorism and in our own experiences, God. And I just I, I, I do want to pray for our listeners who are either whether they're dark, whether they're light, Lord God, and they're really grappling uh, with the weight of colorism in their own life. Oh, Lord, if they're if they feel any sort of self-hatred. Uh, because of the skin that they're in, God, I just pray that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would give them eyes to see. Remove the scales from their eyes, oh God, so that they can see uh, just the, the wisdom and the creative wonder that you placed into them, oh God, by putting them in the skin that they're in, Lord Jesus. And I, I just pray, Father, um, for our sister who wrote in to mm-hmm. us um, about uh how she sometimes feels lost within her own racial um uh, within within our own community the black community oh god because she is very light oh lord god and and I just pray father that she would know God that she is fearfully and wonderfully made oh God and that you have um a plan and a purpose for her even with the skin tone Lord Jesus and that you are um going to use it oh God are using it for your glory oh Lord God and for her good Lord so I just pray Father that you would would uh, be uh, near to her, comfort her, Lord, and comfort our our listeners now, oh God, who are still grappling with this issue, mm-hmm. um, and and help us, oh God, to undo um, this this wicked in, uh, racism that we have internalized. Oh God, help us to do the necessary and hard work to be honest about what we see when we look in the mirror, to be honest mm-hmm. about how we feel about our skin tone. We need to uh, confession is, it, it is a gift. It is a grace. Oh God. And help us to humbly confess. Oh God. Um, any self-hatred that we have, Oh Lord. And, and I pray that you would replace that with um a, good and godly sense of, 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 of love. Oh God, for the way that you've created us. So mm. uh, be with us, help us. Oh God, to continue to minister to people as we um, continue this uh, conversation about colorism. So uh, we pray all of this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ, um, our only savior and Lord it's in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, Thank y'all so much for opening up your lives. I know colorism is not an easy topic to talk about. Um, So thank you for taking, uh, we want to thank our listeners also for taking a seat at the table with us this week. So let's keep the conversation going. Uh, actually, we're going to be having a little conversation about co- uh, colorism coming up next week. So, join us for our uh, Truth Table chat about that. We'll be um, putting, we'll be promoting that online a little bit more. So, stay tuned. Check our Twitter and Instagram for that. So, tweet us your thoughts. Use the hashtag um, right now. Use the hashtag Truth Table. Um, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Truth Table, or email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on the Satchel podcast player. Truth's Table is made possible in part by the Pottery studios. Visit Pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York, and we have been your hosts, Akemini, Michelle, and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth's Table. Bye, y'all.